Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17? Now that, that's over in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel. You'll find it there. And you look in the front of your Bible, look on your digital device, or they're even going to be up here on the screen if you just want to look up here and take notes as you go along. I started a sermon series last week entitled uh, Legends, My Story Needs Their Story, that there are these stories in the Bible, a lot of them are in the Old Testament, that are, that are legendary, and, and they're true stories, like they actually happen, but they're so famous stories that sometimes we kind of forget about them. Sometimes we kind of forget that they're legit stories, and why did God tell us these stories? Well, he told us these stories so their story could affect my story. Their story was given as an example to, to warn me, to encourage me, to inform me. And so sometimes we tend to just look over these stories. And so a lot of times we, like me, I, I learned these in Sunday school growing up in church and uh, really just kind of learned them as stories and not what to do with them. And then I was a kid's pastor and a student pastor before I, I pastored a church and I would, I'd preach these to the kids and, and the students. But like even this morning, I, I don't think I've ever preached on this subject. Last week, I, I preached on Samson and Delilah and uh, I'd preached on that sermon before and I preached, get out of your way. If you haven't heard that sermon, go back and listen to it. You'll find out you are your own worst enemy. And what do you do about, about that? We learned from Samson. Well, today, instead of preaching, get out of your way, today I want to preach this subject, get out of my way, the story of David and Goliath. I don't think I've ever preached to adults, David and Goliath. So find your place in your Bible, 1 Samuel 17, hold your finger there, and we'll stand and read in just a moment. How many of you have ever... Uh, woken up in the middle of the night with a bad headache. Let me see your hand. You ever woke up in the middle of the night with a bad headache? As bad as your was, it was probably not as bad as a guy named Michael Moylan, who on June 25th, 2007, at 4 a.m., woke up with an excruciating headache. Not only did he wake up with an excruciating headache, he looked on his pillow and there was blood on his pillow. Michael thought that he had had an aneurysm and it had kind of exploded or something in his brain, in his head, and it had leaked blood out on his pillow. He woke his wife, April, up, and he said, April, call 911. And they started getting their clothes on. He noticed April didn't call 911. Instead, she put him in the car and she drove very slowly to the hospital. She didn't run any red lights. She didn't drive fast. She was kind of looking at the scenery on the way to the hospital. And so they get in the hospital. He says, I think I've had... <laughs> an aneurysm, and they put him down, and they put him on an x-ray machine. They did x-ray, and here is the x-ray of Michael's head. That is a bullet. He had been shot in his head behind his right ear. Michael eventually told police that I think my wife was driving slowly, hoping I would die on the way to the hospital. Now, the story got a little weird. 
Michael checked out of the hospital th- after three days with the doctor telling me he shouldn't. He told the police originally that he, uh, he was depressed and tried to commit suicide. April said that she kept a loaded Smith & Wesson revolver under her pillow and she rolled over on her pillow at night and it accidentally went off. Because that happens all the time, right? Don't you hate it when that happens? Eventually, April, April, a few weeks later, was arrested on charges of first-degree murder. Michael went home and lived with her for a little while. And the next Tuesday, he came dragging himself into the police office and said this, my wife confessed to me last night that she had actually tried to kill me. Nobody said he was bright, but he finally figured it out. The case in 2007 made worldwide attention because he drove to the hospital with a hole in his head. But I want to tell you this morning, Michael Mullen is not the most famous person with a hole in his head. The most famous person that we still talk about today with a hole in his head is a guy named Goliath. And thousands of years after Goliath got his hole in his head, we are still talking about him. Why? Because Goliath was a giant that represents things in our life. For example, Goliath was a giant that represents giants in our life. You say, well, what is a giant in our life? A giant in our life is something that stands between you and where you need to be. A giant in your life is something that stands between you and victory. What are you talking about, preacher? A giant is something that stands between you and having victory in your marriage. A giant is something that stands between you and having victory in your finances. A giant is something that stands between you and having a walk with God. A giant stands between you and the will of God. It's something that you can't get around. It's something that you have to go through. And don't raise your hand, but don't you have some obstacles in your life. Don't you have these giants in your life that are causing your marriage and you just name the list going down the line of things in your life to not be what they ought to be. And it seems like every time that giant defeats you, every time that giant gets bigger and bigger and bitter, bigger, what do we do about giants in our own life? Well, I want us to read the story of Samson and find out, I mean, story of Samson, that was last week. Let's read the story of uh, David and Goliath and find out what happened. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word and look in 1 Samuel chapter 17? We're not going to read the whole chapter about the story, but we'll begin reading in verse number 37. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. And David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk. But he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David uh, took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in the shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beast. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defiled him. 
Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down. Today, I'll remove your head. Today, I'll give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth that all the world will know that Israel has a God. David wasn't trying to make friends or anything with that. The whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hands in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine in on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. Thank you. You may be seated. I didn't read all the story, but just to give you a little background, David's just this young kid who is going into the battle. David's not even in the army. He's probably a late teen or college, early college age at the most. And it was a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the constant enemy of Israel. The fights and battles were always ongoing, uh, but this particular time, things were different. This particular time, instead of it being army by army, they, they've adopted a Greek method of warfare, and that is a representative battle. What do you mean by that? Well, instead of the two armies clashing and thousands of people dying, what they've decided to do is the Philistines will send up their best champion, and the Israelites will send up their best cha- champion, and it was, they said they would let, not Israel, but the world said they would let the gods decide the judgment, who was right and who was wrong. And so David stumbles onto this scene where the two armies are having a stare down, that Goliath is staring down, the giant is staring down Israel, and Israel is losing the stare down battle. So it's into that scene that David walks. And we read the story, you know the end, that David defeats the giant, but how do we get there? And more importantly, how do we defeat those giants that are in our lives. Let me tell you five things you need to know. Here they are. Number one is this. I hate to say it, but everybody will face giants. You say, what was everybody worried about? How big is a giant? Well, I'm glad you asked because Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. Did you hear that? Nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, I don't know if you understand how tall that is. That is tall. I, first Hawks game I ever went to, I think it was in the 90s, and I went with my brother-in-law, and we drove down to Atlanta to see it, and it was the Hawks versus the Orlando Magic, and Shaquille O'Neal was on the Orlando Magic at the time, and she, you, you've seen Shaquille O'Neal, you've seen him, and uh, sometimes in Gwinnett, we lived down there, we'd see him in grocery stores down there, he had a house down in Gwinnett, and he was a, he's a big dude, man, you get on the court with him, or get down close to court level with him, we, we got down close to court level with him, we didn't even get on the court, but he's giant, I mean, he's seven feet, two, three, four inches tall, he's a massive massive human being. When you watch him on television, it doesn't do it justice. Well, here's, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot whatever, and here's Goliath, who's two and a half feet taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Listen, Goliath's head would be taller than the net, not the rim, but the net on a basketball goal. Not only that, he had on a bronze helmet and bronze armor. To tell you how big and strong Goliath was, the bronze helmet and the bronze armor weighed 125 pounds. Just his armor weighed about uh, what I weigh, you know. And so 125 pounds he was carrying around on him. 
He had bronze armor on his leg. He had a bronze spear that had an iron head on it and the iron head weighed 15 pounds. This spear would have put a hole in you that big. He was a massive man. He had a sword at his side and then he had a shield bearer in front of him, which to me, this guy somehow drew the short straw. He was to go in front of Goliath with a shield and just march in front of Goliath. The shield bearer was normally the first one to die. Goliath was well protected. He was one big, well-armored, well-weaponed dude. And for 40 days, he had been taunting the armies of Israel. Here, here's what he's been doing for 40 days. Every morning, this was Israel's alarm clock. Then Goliath stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together day after day after day. You got this big, bad, mouthy, overconfident problem that is standing between the Israelites and victory and standing between David and victory. And get this, Goliath was not going to make victory easy for the good guys. He was going to do everything he could to make their path hard. Ladies and gentlemen, teenagers, I want to tell you this morning, if you haven't figured it out by now, we have an enemy that has no intention whatsoever of letting the Christian life be easy for you. We have an enemy that is going to do everything he can to stand between you and where you ought to be. He is not going to let the Christian life be easy. He's not going to let you have victory in the Christian life. Sitting down, what do you mean, preacher? He is not going to let your marriage have victory without a fight. You say, why are we always fussing and fighting? Why can't we get along? Why is my marriage so bad? I'll tell you why. You have an enemy that is standing in the way. Why does... He's not going to let your family have victory without a fight. He's not going to let you raise your kids in the Lord. He's not going to let your teenagers get along with their parents without a fight. Listen, we have an enemy that's not going to let your finances have victory without a fight. He's not going to let your business have victory without a fight. He is not going to let you walk with God. You say, why is walking with God so hard? Because you have an enemy, a giant standing in your way who is not going to back down. Our enemy's not going to say, oh, isn't that sweet? He's getting up early every day and reading the Bible. Demons, let's cheer for him. All right, let's, let's cheer for him. He hates you with, he hates God more than he hates you. He's not going to let joy be in your life without a fight. He's not going to let you have emotional wellness without a fight. Hey, can we, can we get even simpler? He's not going to let your family come to church without a fight. He'll let you come to church in a fight. That's happened plenty, right? Usually about a mile from the church, right? It's, it's when it starts. He'll let you come in a fight. Hey, but if you get up, and by the way, this would be a great goal. If you get up and say, hey, my family and I, we're going to come to church every Sunday in November. That is a worthy goal. <laughs> every kid's going to get the sniffles. That's, I mean, it's, it's all, you're going to have to fight to make that happen. Can I tell you this? He's not going to let you tithe. 
You say, why does he care if I tithe or not? Because the Bible says in Malachi 3 that if you tithe, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so much you can't receive it. Can I tell you what the enemy will do? The minute you write your tithe check and you put it in the offering bucket or you go online, and it was how my wife and I do all our giving online, we feel so guilty when the offering bucket goes by. In the beginning, I used to put blank envelopes in there because I felt guilty when it went by. We just live with it now. We give online, pvine.org slash give. It's how I give. I got it reoccurring. Just give online. And listen, can I tell you this? The enemy's not going to let you don't tithe. The enemy's not going to let you tithe laying down. You know what's going to happen? The minute you tithe, your refrigerator's going to break and the transmission will fall out of your car on the way home. I promise you it will. You'll be like, can I get that tithe check back? Enemy's not going to let you serve God without a fight. Hey, uh, we just finished up our second month of C4. Jeremy, our Connections pastor, is taking people through that. Can I tell you, every single person in this building, when you hear us make that C4 announcement, do not look at the person sitting next to you. That is for you. Every single one of you need to go through C4. In C4, you find out all about our church. In C4, you find out all about our vision, our mission, what we're trying to do here. In C4, you find out your purpose for existence. You find out why God placed you on earth. You find out what your giftedness is, what your passions are, what your abilities are, how to put those use for the kingdom of God. Jeremy, what's the text number to sign up for that? C-F-O-U-R to 97,000. You're going to sign up right now, but can I tell you this? When you go through C-4 and you find out how to serve God, the devil is not going to lay down. Not going to lay down. There's going to be a giant in your path and you will have to face the giant. And the question is, what are you going to do? Because there's only two things to do. There are only two, two options when you look at them in the Bible. Two kinds of people in the story. There was everybody else that every time Goliath came out, and said, boo, the entire Israelite army ran and hid. That's not a joke. They ran and hid. And then there was David who said, how dare you stand in the way of my God? And this morning you have a decision to make. Anytime you want to do something great, listen to me, there will always be a giant standing in your way. You cannot do significant battle you cannot do anything significant without a battle. Your enemy's never going to pave the way to victory. I mean, no football team does that, right? No, no football team says, you know what? Your guys', is, your, your guys uniforms are prettier than ours. We're just going to let you score touchdowns today. And I had a really good Tennessee joke right there. And dadgummit, if they didn't win yesterday. <laughs> and ruined a whole sermon for me. I, that, that upsets me so much. The enemy doesn't lay down. You're always going to have a giant when you don't want to do anything great in your life. Second thing I want to tell you is this about fighting giants. You'll always have the you canters in your life. What is a you canter? Saul was a you canter. Paul said, but Saul replied, you, say it with me, can't. They're everywhere. David was a teenager around this time, older teenager maybe. He wasn't real big. He definitely wasn't a giant. David wasn't even a soldier. David tended sheep. David ran his father's errands. He's out in this battle because his, his dad gave him a, basically a wheel of cheese and a couple of loaves of bread. He's bringing cheese and crackers to his brothers who are in the army. If you looked at David, you would have said, there's no way this guy is a giant killer. And that's exactly what people told him. Matter of fact, two distinct groups of people told him he couldn't do it. Number one was his family. That's hard, man. 
Sometimes when you want to do something great for God, your family can be the one saying you can't more than anybody. But number two, the king said it. King Saul said, you can't do it. David was surrounded by people who said, you can't. Why? Because listen, anytime, whenever you try to do something significant, there will always be people in your life who say you can't. Listen to this. You want to have a great marriage? Let's say you want to put your marriage back together. You go to work and, and, and you talk to that gal, uh, ladies that you've been talking to, telling her how rotten your husband is. And guys, you go talk to that. And by the way, you should never, ever do that. That's the worst thing you can do for your marriage. And um, never speak those words out loud. Uh, and so you, you go tell some guy and, and you're going to say, but here's what I'm going to do. Preacher preached yesterday. I'm going to put my marriage back together. You know what they're going to say? You can't. No, I'm going to have a happy marriage. You can't. Why? Well, hey, you, you, you go tell somebody, hey, we're going to get our finances in order and we're going to rise above it and we're going we're gonna to live better and we're going to tithe and somebody's going to say, you can't. You can't, not with what you make. You can't. I, I'm going to live a Christ-centered life and I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And somebody's say, you can't. Yeah, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get saved and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get saved and I'm going to live for Jesus. You can't. Not you, man. Not you. Not with all you've done. You can't. I'm going to have joy in my life through Jesus. You can't. You can't. Hey, listen to this. Don't listen to the you canners in your life. You know why? You serve a God that says you can. And I don't care what you want to do in life. If it matters for eternity, you, the devil will put some people around you. And I, 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 I'm, be, be careful. I'm not saying those people are filled with the devil. I'm just saying the devil will make sure he's got some people around you as discouraged as you are. And they'll say you can't. You know why oftentimes? Because you know why people say you can't? Because they don't want you to have what they don't have. Have you ever heard the expression, misery loves company? You may have heard that expression. You know what that means? Nobody wants you to be better off than what they are. They don't want your marriage to get any better. You know why? They hate their husband. And they kind of enjoy talking about whose husband was the worst, which you shouldn't do, by the way. But they like, and then you come in and you're all, I'm going to get my marriage fixed because I, 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 a preacher preached a sermon in, in my marriage. No, man, you canners, you canners. You'll always have you canners in your life when you want to battle a giant. Let me show you the third thing we learned from this, and that's this. You have to beat the bear before you can kill the giant. Now I won't go back and read the story, but David had regular run-ins with bears and with uh, lions, bears and lions. And he told Saul, he said, hey, I know you say I can't, but listen to this story. I was tending my sheep one day and a bear came up and tried to take some of the sheep. And I grabbed that old bear by the beard and I threw him down the ground and I killed him right there. And then next day a lion came up and I grabbed a lion by its mane. I got it down the ground and I killed it. And listen, if God let me kill the bear and the lion, the giant will be no problem. Before he took on a 10 foot giant, he had fought an angry bear. Here, I want you to hear me this morning. Here's the principle. Every battle you win prepares you for the next battle in life. You know one reason why you can't beat the giant in your life? You've never beat the bear. You know one reason you can't do anything big for God? You've never done anything small for God. Because here's the principle we learn. That victory has a way of leading to more victory. And losing has a way of leading to more losing. That if you want to grow in the Christian life, you've got to stack some victories on top of each other before you can get to the giant. Or, or if you just keep losing at the other mundane stuff, you'll never defeat the giant. It's a biological principle. I'm reading a book right now called The Winner Effect 
the science of success and how to use it. You ever notice some people just always seem to be winners and business life, relationship? Why does that happen? Well, it is a biological phenomenon. Here's what they discovered when they, when they studied animals, that when an animal fought a weaker op- opponent in one, it made the winning animal more likely to win against a stronger opponent. When a stronger opponent fought an animal and lost, it made him prone to losing even against a weaker opponent. And they studied the same thing in humans. Ian Ian Robinson says this, when they studied the brain after somebody wins, you know what, when you win at something, you know what happens? Your brain releases all kinds of chemicals into your brain when you win. And when you When you win, those chemicals, get this scientifically, make you more focused, smarter, more confident, and more aggressive. And they noticed that people who won against weaker opponents had a way of winning against people they should have never won against. Why? Man, their brain just filled them full of stuff, several different chemicals firing off in your brain and said, you are a winner. You always win. Man, you're awesome. Just keep winning. And you know they stay the brains of losers? You know what they found out? Well, losers, that sounded harsh, didn't it? Uh, they studied the brains of Tennessee fans and they discovered <laughs> that, um, that that was mean. I know that was mean. Uh, and so they, here's what they discovered. Your brain gets seeped of all that stuff when you lose. It's stronger than any drug. And the more you win, the chances are the more you'll win, even when the odds defy you winning. That's why the story of David killing the bear and the lion is so important. Now learn this principle in the Christian life. One reason we can't do anything big in our Christian life, we can't kill the giant in our Christian life, we've never done anything small. It's going to be hard to beat the giant when you haven't beat the bear. In your life, you're going to have all these great things you want to do with your walk with the Lord. You name it. Don't go swing at the giant first. Go swing at the bear. I'll give you an example. Best I can give you. You say, say, well, I want to have a perfect marriage. Well, that's a pretty big giant in your life. You know what you ought to do? You You ought to kill a bear. And men, you ought to write your spouse a love note. Right? Just write something sweet on a piece of paper. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Flowers don't stink and neither do you, right? It's beautiful. Shakespearean type stuff there. You write that and leave it out for her. You, you, you write that exact poem, she'll get teary-eyed over it because it's never anything else you've done for her and, and she'll, she'll be like, well, that means a lot to me. Women, you know what you ought to do to your husband? You want a great marriage? You want to do to, instead, of, instead of jumping on him all the time for what he do, doesn't do, won't you brag on him for what he does do? Like, y'all just look at him this afternoon and go, honey, I just want to tell you, I love you so much, and I appreciate so much what you do for our family. He'll check you for a fever to see if you're running a fever. Like, do we, should we go to the hospital? Is there a hole in the back of your head? Like, what do we need to do? <laughs> Listen, I could go on and on and on, but here's the principle of killing the giant. Get small wins first. You want to fix your marriage? Get small wins first. You want to fix your finances? Get small wins first. When you beat the bear and the lion, the giant falls a lot easier. Fourth thing we learn is this. What worked for others may not work for you. Saul wanted David to use the armor and the weapons he'd always fought in. 
they were never going to work. The Bible says about Saul that he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel. So here you've got Saul, who maybe himself is 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, feet tall, we don't know. And David probably not even six feet tall. Saul's armor was not going to fit David's body. David was not familiar with those weapons and that armor, never, never worn that at all. And he had no skill with the sword at this time in his life. And David said to Saul, Saul, what worked for you may not work for me. But get this, even at this point, Saul is confused. Saul is thinking that his sword and his armor have won the battles, but he was wrong. In the first battle Saul won, here's what the Bible said. Saul won the battle, but the Bible says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. The Lord did it. Here's what Saul had failed to realize, that David didn't need Saul's methods. David needed Saul's master. It was about principles, not methodology. And the principle of fighting the giant was this. Get the Lord on your side, not use my armor. Can I tell you this? You can copy what somebody else does, but that doesn't mean you'll have the same victory they have. Hey, if you know the answer to this question, don't answer it. Don't answer it if you're in the other two services. Do you know what 84,000 people in the United States have in common? That's a big number. 84,000 people have one thing in common. You know what it is? I'm going to show you. Ready? It's, it's impressive. Ready? They're Elvis impersonators. <laughs> 84,000 people wrote on their IRS taxes what you do for a full-time job, they wrote Elvis impersonator. When Elvis died in 1977, there were 2,500. In 1980, there were 4,000. In 1990, there were 12,000. In the year 2000, there were 32,000. In 2010, there were 84,000. At this growth rate, by the year 2100, one out of every three Americans will be an Elvis impersonator. Do you know what 100% of the 84,000 have in common? 100% of them. You know what they have in common? They're not Elvis. They're not Elvis. Just because you put on the suit doesn't mean you get what he got. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, oh, you want to walk with God? Here's what you got to do. Get up at 4 a.m. every morning, read and pray your Bible for two hours, and then I have a pastor friend, he lives in a, the time zone, central time, mountain time, whatever there's behind us. And, and man, he, he, he does, he gets up at 3.30 every morning and spends time with God. He, he not, he's, he's 15 to 20 years older than me, but he'll get up every morning, 3.30. If he sleeps to four, he has slept in if he sleeps to four o'clock. I had a seven o'clock video meeting with him just a couple years ago, and I was meeting at seven o'clock. It was six o'clock his time. He was sitting in front of me in a pair of jogging shorts. This man's in his middle to late 60s. He's sitting in front of me in a pair of jogging shorts, T-shirt, and he has a gallon of water. Now, when I say gallon of water, it wasn't one of these fancy things you buy today, you know, ladies. It was a milk jug gallon full of water. And he's drinking a gallon of water while we're having a video meeting. At 7 o'clock my night, 6 o'clock his time, I said, Ronnie, what have you been doing? He said, well, I got up 3.30 this morning, and, uh, and uh, I spent an hour with God, and then I prayed, read my Bible, and then I studied, and then I ran five miles, and I went to the gym and worked out, and I'm going to drink this water, and I'm going to go run some more. I was eating a donut. (laughs) 
Weird, Ronnie. That's exactly what I've been doing this morning too. That is so weird. See, if I weren't careful, I would say I'd follow the method and not the principle. The method is get up at 3.30 a.m. The principle is you need to figure out a way to spend time with God every day of your life. And what worked for others may not work for you. Fifth thing and I'm through. I'll take great comfort in this church. If the problem is the Lord, the battle is the Lord's. Verses 45 and 46, you can look at the part I have underlined. David said to Goliath, you have defied him. That's God. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. How in the world could David go so confident in the battle? How could he do that? Here's how he did it. It wasn't David's fight. It was the Lord's fight. The Philistine giant was standing in the Lord's way. And David wasn't dependent on his skill. David wasn't dependent on the fact that the, the, uh, he was dependent on the fact that the Lord wanted the giant gone. And if the Lord wanted the giant gone, the giant was going to be gone. David was just the instrument of the Lord's will. And can I tell you this? If a giant is standing in your way, it's in the way of where the Lord wants you to go. You have the Lord on your side. What do you mean, preacher? Close your Bibles. Close your Bibles. I'm going to finish up. I'm going to be done in two minutes, but I'm going to do some Q&A and I want you to answer me out loud. All right? Everybody ready to go? Got your Bibles closed? We're not going anywhere. Don't get your pocketbook, ladies. Just close your Bibles. Ready? Ready? All right. Does the Lord want you to have a good marriage? Yes or no? Then if the Lord wants you to have a good marriage, the Lord is on your side. The giant's no problem. Let me ask you a question. Does the Lord want you to walk with him? Then the Lord's on your side. Slow down. Does the Lord want you to tithe? Guess what? He's on your side. You said, but the transmission fell out of my car. Tithe anyway. God's on your side. Does the Lord want you to serve? The Lord's on your side. Does the Lord want your family to be whole? Say, yes. yes. I could go on and on and on. If the problem is the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's. All you've got to do is get your sling, the word, and go running towards the giant. Bible says, the giant ran towards David. But the Bible says David ran towards the giant. You probably don't know this picture. The guy's name is Joshua Chamberlain. He was a theology student at 24 years old. When the battle was raging, he joined the Union Army. He climbed the ranks, he was a school teacher, he climbed the ranks to become a colonel in the 20th Maine Volunteer Infantry Regiment. And on July 2nd, 1863, he was the central figure in the Battle of Gettysburg. He was in command of 300 Union soldiers against thousands of Confederate soldiers. And this is not about Confederate Union. Listen to the story. 300 against thousands. The Confederates charged once and they held. Twice and they held. Three times and they held. Four times and they held. Five times and they held, but after five charges, the Union Army was down to 80 people. Chamberlain had already been shot 
and the bullet hit his belt buckle and had knocked him off his horse. 80 men left, thousands left on the other side. His sergeant, Sergeant Tozier, said this, we've just received a dispatch. No reinforcements are on their way. And the 80 men left have one round of ammunition per man. A sensible man, a rational man, a not crazy man would have surrendered. Chamberlain climbed up on top of a rock formation that has been built as a defense. He climbed up on top of the rock formation, 24 years old, outnumbered 80 to thousands, and with no ammunition in his gun, he fixed his bayonet on the end of his rifle and he held it up in front of the Union Army and the Confederate Army on the other side, 80 versus thousands, and his, his men fixed their bayonet real quickly. He held it up and on top of a rock wall, he yelled, charge. Historians tell us that if the Confederate Army had won that battle, they would have won the war. It was the turning point of the Civil War. Charge. 80 men charged thousands of Confederate soldiers. And get this. Five minutes later, five minutes, 80 Union soldiers had captured 4,000 Confederate soldiers. Man, you got to admire the steel of somebody who'll look at a giant and just say, this doesn't look good. He's bigger than us. He's better than us. He's meaner than us. What are we going to do? Charge. When you have a giant in your life and you're afraid, remember David and Goliath. Sometimes you just need to yell, charge. Why? Because the battle's not, the problem is the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. And he'll get that giant out of your way. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our staff is going to be down front. If you're here today and you would like to join our church, you would like to be baptized, you would like to uh, become a Christian. Maybe you've already prayed in the service and you want to come tell somebody. Nathan is on your left. Jeremy's on your right. And all you do is come down and take one of them by the hand and say, hey, here's the decision I, I want to make. Join the church, be baptized, become a Christian. They're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put a microphone in front of your face or anything like that. You just, it's your place to do business with God. They'd love to answer your questions. My heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, whether you're at Rock Spring or Rossville, heads are bowed. How many of you would say, preacher, I'll just be honest. I have a giant or two in my life I need to go, I need to get rid of so I can have victory. Is that you? Can you raise your hand, hold it up, just be honest with God? Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up, all across the building. Hold it up, hold it up. Dozens and dozens and dozens of hands. Thank you, you and put them down. See, this invitation is for you this morning. 
You say, well, preacher, I don't like coming to the altar. Man, I loved it. 8.30, the altars were just filled all the way across the front. You know why? You know why? Don't back down this morning. Don't yell retreat this morning. Hey, listen, this morning is the time to be David against your Goliath. Don't shrink down. You need a better marriage? Yell charge this morning. You need to walk with God? Yell charge this morning. You need to get rid of that giant in your life? Yell charge this morning. Don't sit there. Don't sit there. Don't sit there and let the, you say, do I need to come to the altar? I, you do this morning. You do. You do need to come to the altar. You need to come to the altar and find a place to kneel and just say, God, I'm yelling charge in my life and the problem is yours and now the battle is yours. Lord, I need you to do something. Father, I pray this morning you draw us with your spirit as you've spoken through your word. In Jesus' name, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.